I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Make It Cute. I am so excited because I am joined by a very special guest who we will introduce momentarily. But um, I just wanted to have a quick little chat with everyone about kind of like the direction of Make It Cute. We are doing a little bit of rebranding. Keep an eye out for that in the past, in the next couple of weeks. Also, if you tuned into the last episode that we dropped, we actually have a Make It Cute hotline that you can call into and leave me a message and we can talk about things. Um, we do a bunch of different series on this show. So as you know, you can pretty much contribute to any one of those. Uh, we actually just updated our show description to include the hotline number. So you can give me a call and I'm not going to actually answer, but I'll listen to your message. So I'm um, really looking forward to hearing all your stories and all that you have to offer. But more importantly, I'm really excited to introduce Chef Dennis and... Um, I'm joined by Chef Dennis. We're going to talk a little bit about him. We're going to talk a little bit about traveling. And he has an awesome recipe that he's going to share with us. I'm really excited for this conversation. So hi, Dennis. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Miles. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I'm excited to be here. I'm happy to have you on. And I guess for the people who don't know you, let's let's talk about you. Let's tell me your story. Tell me how you got to be where you are. I feel like. Um, 
you definitely have a seasoned um, internet history where you've done so many different projects and just from like, I mean, if I search your name, so many things come up. So, I mean, just give us a little bit of insight into how Chef Dennis became Chef Dennis. Well, you know, I've, I've always loved to eat and that's what's kind of fueled my passion. Uh, my mom worked nights, so that had me cooking during the day. And uh, I kind of grew from there. I, I had a love for food. I had some early mentoring uh, by a couple of very special people in my life. And I wandered, you know, I wandered around not knowing where I was going, but I came back to food because it was something I did really, really well, you know, uh, and it was something that I loved. So, you know, when you, when you can find something that you love doing and you do it reasonably well, that's a good fit. It's not always about the money. It's not all, you know, it's money's wonderful, but you know, happiness really works into the equation. Right. So, um, I, I, I cooked, you know, I had a really interesting career when we go back and look at it. And my last stop was at a high school, an all girls high school. Oh, wow. I, I was pretty much done at that point. I was, my body was beaten up. Uh, I was tired. I was uninspired. I was just ready to, uh, spend my last few years somewhere quiet where I could just relax. My wife's a teacher. So we were on the same schedule finally. And I just bide my time. You know, I, you know, I could do what I had to do. And of course, things never work out as you planned because I got so bored and the food was so bad that I put the coat back on and went into the kitchen and, and moved the, the cook who was not that good into another position uh, to the budget's constraints. I told her, you know, I didn't want to have the heart to tell her, you know, her food sucked but, uh, and started cooking. And it was at that point kind of uh, almost a made for TV movie where I had 600 high school girls that had never seen this kind of food in the school before. I had no idea what to feed kids. So I fed them like adults, like I did in the restaurant or I did in, in um, other dining institutions I worked at. So it worked out really well. And then they started, they painted a mural of me on the wall. Oh, wow. <laughs> was, I know, it was wild. They dedicated it to me. So at one point I was like, huh, I need to start training my own staff because we'd have functions and the help you would bring in were, were just horrible sometimes. You know, you'd get a great ones every now and then, but I said, let me, let me teach these girls, you know, and, and use them. It'll be, I'll, I'll give back to them and they'll give back to me. It'll be a win-win for everyone. And uh, I started a culinary class and I started training them and 60 girls signed up the first year out of 600. <laughs> it was a pretty, pretty big turnout. And uh, the older girls couldn't fit it into their schedule. They were so jam-packed with, I mean, every one of them went to college. It was just a very overachieving kind of school. So I ended the year with 10 freshmen and one sophomore. And uh, I told them that we had the big event. I had them all trained. I says, all right, I want you to wear black pants, black shoes, wear a t-shirt. I'll give you a jacket because I had all these chef coats I had kind of inherited. And I showed them how to wear an apron so they look cool. It's not how you do it when you work, but this is how you look cool. <laughs> I marched them out into the room of about 500 people, and you could have heard a pin drop because they had no idea what I was doing. Because uh, Dennis is a good guy. We have no complaints about him. Everything's good. But, you know, they never wandered down to see what we were doing. So at that point, the culinary team at the high school became one of their focal points. And uh, the company I was working for used it as a model to run across the country in different in the schools. They presented it as an option to all the schools that we had in our system. And because of that, I became a blogger. 
not because I thought I was going to be a blogger, but because I wanted the girls to have some place to go to get recipes, to send messages to me. You know, you didn't want to give me your phone number and ask for their phone number at that stage. It just wasn't wasn't appropriate. Right. Um, so I said, all right, they can message me back and forth. Well, none of them wanted to go there. They wanted to come in the office and talk to me directly. But uh, students at the school and teachers at the school started frequenting it. And I put recipes up and they would leave comments and they would come back and get a lot of feedback from them. And then one morning I woke up and I had a reader in New Zealand and a reader in Singapore. And it wasn't just my brother reading my blog anymore. It was, it was other people. And it was like, wow. I think I might keep doing this. And of course, if I knew now what I knew then, I might have picked another hobby because it's <laughs> kind of taken over my life. You know, in all honesty, no, I, I can't imagine doing anything else. But I had no idea where it was going to lead me and what kind of things I, it was going to lead me to and, and how my life would change for the better. You know, it really, it really has. It's been a vehicle that's taken me places I never imagined through blogging. I've met so many amazing people along my journey. And uh, I have friends all over the world that I speak to regularly that'll drop anything just to talk to me because we connected early on. And, and I became Ask Chef Dennis because in the beginning of blogging, all the major superstars that were out there, we were, we were like peons and they were the royalty. And it was like, Oh, it's, yes, of course you can have a picture with me now. Move along, you know, kind of. <laughs> so no one would tell you anything. So anytime I learned something, I started sharing it. So I became Ash Chef Dennis. You know, if there was something somebody needed to know, I would find out. I would go to my sources all over, or or and, and I would get emails from my friends, and they would say, Dennis, did you see this? Did you see this? And I'm like, Oh no, I didn't. So I'd go check it out. So that's that's how Ask Chef Dennis was born. Oh, that's, that's so cool. That is amazing. And one thing that really resonated with me is I, I haven't worked at a high school because, you know, I've only been out of high school for maybe six years. But um, in the sense of content creation and being a blogger, that's kind of how I got my start in this space, like, you know, hosting this podcast. I had a social media following and I created content and I definitely understand how it takes over your night over your life. I think one thing that a lot of people don't realize is that your life becomes a numbers game. It is how well is this doing? I, I mean, for us, like, I guess I was more like a vlogger. Um, it's like, how well is this post doing? Or I'm sure the same for you. How well is a recipe doing versus another? And one thing that I saw is I feel like I've seen a lot of people on social media um, use one of your recipes like very overwhelmingly and they they say it's like the gold standard but i'm curious before it, i'm sure you know what it is and if not i'm happy to share what i found but mm -hmm. what do you feel like your most like successful recipe that you've put out there is well the one recipe that really got the most notice and and kind of started right after i posted it was tiramisu and yep that's the one that i saw and I get letters, I still get them, I get emails from people all over the world, you know, and they're always like, thank you so much, you know, and every now and I, I remember I got one from somebody who was either in Norway or Sweden, and they said, my grandfather is Italian, I made this for him, and he cried. Oh, wow. So I'm like, you know, that's powerful. Yeah. That, things don't get any more powerful. I mean, when I get comments like that, I said, this is what makes it all worthwhile. I mean, these are things that, you know... I want people to see that, you know, it's not rocket science. That was one of my favorite sayings in class. It was, 
girls, it's not rocket science. <laughs> I know some of you are going to MIT, but this is cooking. It's food. It's, it's about being enjoyable and creating things that you can share with other people that bring joy into their lives. You know, even if it's just for a few moments, you know, you're, you're improving their happiness level. Absolutely. And I mean, you, you definitely like, you're very aware of like where that success was because that was the recipe I overwhelmingly saw was associated with your name. I felt like it was so hard to escape the tiramisu. Like I saw a couple other recipes, but the tiramisu was overwhelmingly just like, Everyone was saying this is like a gold standard of tiramisu. I definitely plan to add it to my uh, list of things that I plan on cooking because I, you know, I got to see, I got to see if it lives up to the hype. I'm not discounting you, but (laughs) it's a little different than what the normal tiramisu is. You know, people Mm -hmm. always use marsala when they make tiramisu. I, I was never fond of that in a dessert. I know it's a traditional Italian style, but it's got coffee in it. So I use Kahlua. And to me, that was like a perfect marriage uh, in in the flavoring. You know, it didn't yeah. alter the flavor; it enhanced the flavor. Right. So, uh, so yeah, it's that, and you know, the sabayon is this. You know, once you get past the sabayon, you make that boy, you're home. You're home, and you'll be knocking it out in a half an hour. That's that's <laughs> you know, that's time once you get used to making it, which is incredible. Depend, you know, when you think about it, you the only the only warning I always give people was, all right, be prepared. Because when you go to your favorite restaurant and you get tiramisu, you're going to go, oh, this isn't good. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny because I feel like sometimes like I'd rather live in a, not a mediocre, like a mediocre or a world of mediocrity, but it's, so I feel like a a good example of this, and this actually might be a good segue too, to like what we're talking about travel. Um, So I kind of have like, you know, I've been around and we're going to talk about some of our travels. Um, But my one of my best friends had never flown um, until I think about 2018 when she came to visit me down in um, I was at like one of my family's properties in uh, St. Pete's, Florida. Um, So my friends came down for the weekend and that was the first time she had ever flown. And then the next time she had flown, we flew first class um, to Mexico. And she literally said, wow, I'm really happy I didn't fly first class first because I don't know if I'd ever be able to fly economy. It it sounds like the tiramisu is kind of like that first class experience. It's like once you kind of have like that epitome of a food, it's so hard to like go back or so hard to like not compare it um, and have that baseline. So I'm very excited to actually give that a try. But I guess segueing into um, part of our conversation, which is going to be about traveling and uh, some of our experiences. Um, I would love to hear about, you know, some of the experiences that you've had traveling with or without food, or just maybe some of the f- uh, places that you've been that you've really enjoyed. Um, I think that one thing that I do whenever I travel is I really associate places with food. I was just in Ireland, like I say a couple weeks ago, I guess it was maybe like six weeks ago at this point. So I, I don't know if I can use a couple anymore, but um, I was just in Ireland Ireland recently. And one thing that I just cannot stop thinking about is the butter. The butter over there is just amazing, right? So I think I'm really curious to hear about like some of your experiences that you've had, because it sounds like you've had such a vast history and such a passion for food, but also just a passion for traveling as well. Um, and a passion for being a global citizen, because one thing that you mentioned is you 
were looking at your blog hits and you saw Norway and you saw Sweden and Singapore and all these different places. So it sounds like you really have the opportunity to become a global citizen and tune into different cultures. So um, I guess that leaves a very open uh, frame of kind of like what you could open with. But um, tell us a little bit about your experiences. Well, since you mentioned butter, that that brought back a memory of my first time out of the country, uh, other than Canada or Mexico, uh, my first trip uh, across the pond, as we say. And uh, my wife and I, we, we just started dating. We'd been dating for maybe four months and we were going to go to Florida from New Jersey. We were going to go to Florida for Christmas. And that trip just couldn't happen due to a whole number of things. So I asked a travel agent, where can I fly? We were going on Spirit. It was going to be $400. And this was way back. That was a lot of money back then. And he said, uh, give me a minute. And he calls back as you want to go to Paris. And I went, I think maybe I do. Let me call you back. So I called her and said, do you want to go to Paris? And this, this young lady had never been out of Pennsylvania pretty much. So <laughs> it, was, it was like, yes, sir. So we went to Paris and talking about butter, we're sitting at breakfast one morning and I'm going, oh my God, this cheese is wonderful. I called the waiter over and go, what kind of cheese is this? And he looks at me and go, it is butter. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I never had butter this good before. It was so good. There's so like I, I think that's always the most surprising thing whenever people try different types of butter because like I feel like you know in the states like getting like good butter isn't always the most accessible. Like you know, Kerrygold is very like accessible, and that's usually what I default to. Yeah. But I feel like if you grew up in like a Lando Lakes house or even like something like a butter like substitute, like I can't believe it's not butter or like country crock or something. When you have like that really good fresh butter, it does taste like cheese. It takes on those properties of just like, oh, yeah. yeah, I can eat this with like, you know, on a on a cracker and just call it a day. I don't need to melt this. I don't need to warm this up. Like it, yeah. it, it's amazing. For me, it's like a Homer Simpson moment. It's like, oh, butter. Oh. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a wonderful thing. But yeah, you know, it's just Europe eats differently. And the, the products, you know, talking about Ireland, I, I I was asked to go to Ireland to help dispel the myth that the Irish don't know how to eat. And I'm like, oh, really? Okay, I'll try. And I got there and I was blown away by the food. The food and I went to uh, Dublin and um a couple other places in there and the food was just really outstanding. It was, it was what we call farm to table is dinner. Right. That's the difference. You know, they, they can tell you where the cheese came from, where the butter came from, where the vegetables came from. You know, they, they know where exactly everything's coming from there. And I would love to get back to that in the States, but you know, it's probably really impractical at this point. I know a lot of restaurants are coming back. A lot of young chefs are, are, trailblazing coming back to bringing things into that type of uh, media you know we're open kitchens where you can see what they're doing uh, they sh readily share their recipes they're happy they uh, they're using really good ingredients you know so um, yeah and i think the ingredients like you can definitely tell like the difference between like whenever you're using like fresh farm to table-esque ingredients versus and i i feel like the the stigma almost with a lot of people is that they may have not had that experience, right? Because until you went to Paris and had that butter, you, yeah. you wouldn't have known it was out there. Yeah. And I think that's like one thing that a lot of people have issue with is trying new cuisines and kind of stepping out of their comfort zone. Because here's the thing, like, you know, I, I've eaten fast food. I still will grab it on the very rare occasion, but 
I feel like a lot of people value convenience over quality to an extent. Um, But also my curiosity is like having been in kind of like the food world, um, what do you feel like some of the food trends are going to be? I know that we have like food trends like on TikTok where it's like very like kind of, you know, like that baked feta pasta that went viral last year or whatever. But when I say food trends, I think that you made a really great point of like kind of these younger chefs coming in and taking these classic techniques and almost turning them on their head or in the sense of like open kitchen uh, concepts. Like, what do you feel like we're going to see in the next couple of years? I feel like people can revisit this episode and see if it came trail. <laughs> yeah, I think the the trailblazing that they've begun, you know, sadly, you know, a lot of them were impacted when COVID shut down so many restaurants. Uh, but I, I think those that survive, those that in, endure and persevere are going to be the strongest of, of, of the group. And they're going to bring us back into a new age of dining where food is more about the quality of the ingredients. And yeah, I, I love sauces. I love making different things. But if you have to cover a piece of meat or a piece of fish with a heavy sauce, there's something wrong with it. You know, you need that protein to talk to you when you eat it. You know, you, you need you need to taste it and, and really get a good feel for it, the flavors that it has just in itself and maybe the subtle seasonings that you've used on it. So I think we're going back to that. You know, there was a, a dead time in the 90s for chefs. I mean, we were just not very good at what we were doing. We were complacent. You know, the 80s, the 90s, and even the early 2000s, um, we really didn't do a lot. And things have come, you know, some of the things we did were not really that good, like some of the gastronomic things, you know, the, <laughs> the foams. And, you know, was, some things are just for shock value, I think, sometimes. So I, I think the trend's going to get back to good quality. You know, California is is doing some legislation where they're really they're pounding down on the pork industry, which I think is a great thing because you know the, how we treat pigs is just sinful. And uh, I think we're going to see better quality foods. They're going to be more expensive, and that's that's the other half of this coin. You can't get really good quality, especially in the beginning, until everybody is doing quality it's going to be more expensive. As more right. people do quality ingredients, the prices will come down. The other side of that is when it comes to protein, Americans are, I don't know if we're just entitled or we we were just taught the cowboy way was to throw a 24-ounce sirloin on that plate. You know, it's like all the protein we can possibly, you know, eat at one time was good. Where, you know, Europeans will eat a smaller portion and eat more vegetables, which is the healthier way to eat. So I think when we're paying more for products, we have to understand that that main plate item should be a little more, a little smaller. And let's replace some, the rest of the plate with good, healthy foods, grains, you know, uh, and vegetables that are going to help us keep our body working better. So I think the trend's going to, hopefully, this is my hope that the trend's going towards that direction. Yeah, no, I think that would be a, a great thing to see. And I think also a lot of, so I, I mentioned the consumers who don't want to step out their comfort zone, but I think there's a lot of consumers and a lot of, you know, clients who want to go to places that are going to serve them really high quality food and, you know, entertain like the, I, I feel like a lot of people don't like vegetables because they haven't had them cooked correctly. Right. Yep. And I, I feel like I was one of those people that, you know, when I was a kid, like, you know, sometimes like, I'm not saying my mom 
can't cook. She 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 does well. And mom, if you're listening to this, I I'm gonna talk a little shit, but not a lot. Um, and and that's in the sense of like there's certain things that now that I look back, maybe I just didn't like the way it was prepared for me and served to me, or even the notion that I had to eat something. Right. Um, I love vegetables at this point in my life. I am very plant based. I do eat meat, but a lot of my meals are like you know. Dur- derived from more like plant-based products and you know um it's one of those things that it's just because i've learned different ways to prepare things i used to hate cucumbers but i've been completely obsessed with cucumbers lately because i've been making this like asian inspired cucumber salad with like sesame oil and homemade chili oil and rice vinegar it's it's such good it's so good it's almost like um asian like pickles in a sense but As a podcast network, our first priority has always been audio and the stories we're able to share with you. But we also sell merch, and organizing that was made both possible and easy with Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell and grow at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. They have an all-in-one e-commerce platform and in-person POS system, so wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. Shopify has allowed us to share something tangible with the podcast community we've built here, selling our beanies, sweatshirts, and mugs to fans of our shows without taking up too much time from all the other work we do to bring you even more great content. And it's not just us. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Shopify is also the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash realm, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash R-E-A-L-M now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash realm. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. It's funny how, you know, different preparations can really inspire people to eat certain foods. And I think one of your um, pillars and platforms, if I'm not mistaken, is trying to bring, you know, 
people back into the kitchen and getting people to like and enjoy the food that they make. So I would love if you could, you know, just talk a little bit about that as well. Absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the biggest stumbling blocks to getting people in the kitchen and and finding, I always say, you, you need to find some joy in the kitchen is that they'll take a recipe and it might have one or two things that they really don't like to eat or their family really doesn't like to eat. So they'll struggle through the recipe. They'll make it. And right in their mind, right away, they know, well, I don't like that. I don't like that. The kids don't like that. So it's not going to be a joyful experience at the table. So what I tell people is, all right, if it's got mushrooms in it or if it's got broccoli in it, but you don't like those, leave it out. It's it's not, you know, the, the tablets did not come down from the mo- mountain with a recipe etched in stone. You know, change it. You have that ability. You know, it's, I'll tell people, you know, well, I would make it this way, but it's your dinner. So you need to make it how you want to enjoy to eat it. So adding a different ingredient in there, you know, like I said, a broccoli, if you want to put asparagus in, if you want to put spinach in there, if you have another favorite vegetable or another item, go ahead. It's your dinner. It's okay. And I think the more you make food that you enjoy eating and you get some uh, affirmation on it from your family or someone else you're feeding your friends, you're going to be happier to go back and try again. And so then maybe next time you bring some of those into the kitchen with you and you have, you know, a a nice, you play some music, you have a glass of wine, or you talk to the kids, you show the kids how to cut something. And then it starts to become more of a bonding experience where the food you're sharing becomes more of a, a complete experience rather than just sitting down and chowing down and getting, let's get, let's get this over with so we can go watch TV, you know, kind of a thing. Right. That's, that's my philosophy on teaching is like, learn to adapt and cook with foods that you enjoy eating and you know, you'll be happier. Completely agree. I definitely, I'm a lot more excited to eat things that I like versus things that I feel like I'm for like, I feel like uh, another like thing is like whenever it comes to like diet food and like all of that, it's just like, Oh, everything has to be diet, like diet water, diet, whatever the case may be. Um, but it's like, People don't realize that things are a lot more achievable if you just eat the food that you like, maybe a little bit more in moderation. You can make some sort of swap, but I think that's just, you know, same kind of like, I, I hate this phrase, but I'm going to use it, like same church, different pew type deal. Um, it, it gets the point across, if that makes sense. But um, I, I guess we've kind of talked about like certain experiences that you've had in the kitchen. Um, I kind of want to double back to your experience in Paris because I think that was also um you know, talking about food quality and getting back to traveling. One thing that I was really shocked about in Paris is how from the United States perspective, our take on Parisian food is usually like the more decadent um, aspects of it, like very much the like charcuterie or the um, like croque monsieur or just like things that are like kind of like butter, oil heavy for it. But one thing that I loved whenever I went to Paris was finding like that kind of like country Paris food, like the meat and potatoes, like a, a good bourguignon or something like that. Um, I just wanted to hear about kind of like some more of your experiences um, within Paris or even like other places in Europe or just other places that you've traveled. Cause it sounds like you've really been able to, you know, have some really fruitful experiences while doing that. Yeah. It, our first trip to Paris was eye opening and we did uh, a bunch of those decadent meals, but we also, we had a, a book that was written for Paris for locals where they went to eat and we would go into these establishments and we would order, you know, reg- what regular people were eating. 
you know, they, they eat that decadent food, but it's on a special occasion more than just like we would in the States. You know, it's, it's, we eat more plainly during the week or just normally. Uh, but the, the country kind of Parisian food, the rustic Parisian food that's, you know, you find more in the South of France or in, in other areas that has traveled up it is just a wonderful representation of how they eat. And uh, you need to delve into that when you go, you know, that was our first trip. Our, our second trip, uh, was to Italy. You know, we by then we we were traveling. We had found common ground for the two of us, and I think that's what really kept us together, uh, rather than just a you know a, a romance and you know move along to the next person or whatever kind of an attitude. But that really brought us together that trip. And the next year we did Rome, Florence, and Venice, and uh, we spent uh, the millennia on the Grand Canal. And oh, wow, being an Italian style. I was trained in an Italian kitchen, but I was trained by American Italians. Totally different style of eating and totally, you know, a good preparation, really good food. I'm not going to say it was bad, but I mean, just different misconceptions. The use of garlic in, in Italy is not as heavy as we use over here. Actually, the French seem to use more garlic, I think, than the Italians do. <laughs> um, but it, it was just an, an eye opener. And we were in Venice. One of the, I think the the biggest change for me was when I ordered clams and linguine. Really? Yes, because I was trained in this kitchen, and we were using chopped clams. Oh. <laughs> I, I know. Now, granted, this was in the eighties. Okay, this was okay, way, fair this enough. This is way, way back, but still, they were a bit, we 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 bought clams because we did a lot of things with clams, right? But we didn't buy them for pasta or for an appetizer. You know, we weren't buying little necks. We were buying top necks or middle necks. Uh, and I got ordered the clams, and they came out, and I just looked at the beauty of the plate, first of all, with all those little shells opening, and then the lack of garlic. You know, there were some slices in there, and the flavor of the clams what was what was prominent. Right. Uh, now, granted, when I reached for the cheese, I think the waiter slapped my fingers, but <laughs> <laughs> I still put cheese on it these days. Anyway, I like cheese, but, uh, uh, but that was the biggest aha moment i think of my culinary career for me when i was really in the beginning stages of it you know pre pre 90s um just learning about everything and and it was like wow this is amazing uh, i mean that sounds amazing and it sounds like you still make it to this day so absolutely um, do you like would you be open to sharing that recipe with us Absolutely, because you know, I tell people it's the easiest restaurant style dinner you will ever make. It's it's so easy, it almost cooks itself. Oh, that sounds amazing. I know, I know. It, it, it'll take about twelve minutes. You know, the time that it takes you to cook your pasta. I use Del Checo pasta, which has got a nice. You know, if I if I'm not making it or not buying fresh pasta, I like a good. I like a good bite on my pasta. And Del Checo, you can abuse the crap out of it, and it still has a bite to it. Absolutely. Uh, so that takes 11 minutes to cook. Um, now, the clams, the only big thing about the clams is, you know, you see them in supermarkets and there's a tag on that clam and it'll tell you when it was farmed. They're usually all pretty much farm clams these days, unless you, you find someone who's actually going out clamming. And, and it's okay because they're, they're, it's a better quality. 
you know, the shell's a little bit thinner, but it's a better quality clam than they used to be. Uh, but there'll be a date on it to tell you when it came out of the water. As long as it's within about a week, you're fine. Uh, they'll, they'll tend to dry out a little if they're longer than that. Uh, and the big thing I always tell people is if the clam is open, it's dead. Do not eat it. But the big work involved in making clams and linguine is basically rinsing the clams. You know, I let them soak for a while. I dump the water, I rinse them some more just to get rid of any grit or anything that's in it. Right. But once you've gotten those clams cleaned and ready to go, olive oil in a pan, a little chopped garlic or sliced garlic, not a lot. You know, if you like garlic, put as much as you want in. It's your dinner. <laughs> <laughs> and a pinch of crushed red pepper. Mm -hmm. Okay. So then I get that sauteing up a little bit just to get a little heat under the garlic. And then I dump the clams in there. I put some fresh chopped basil in, you know, about half of what I've cut and uh, cover it and let it steam for about eight minutes. Clams okay. are done, turn it off, move it off to the side, let your pasta finish cooking, drain the pasta. If you want to add a little, if it's, if there's not a lot of liquid in there, there should be plenty, but you can add a little bit of that pasta water to it because the starch in it'll help the sauce a little too, mm -hmm. uh, to the clams and toss them with the clams, serve them. And if you like grated Romano cheese, like I do serve it with a little crack or a fresh, uh, cracked black pepper on it. And, uh, you're living. And you've got a meal that I guess in New York, you would pay probably, what, about 25 bucks, 30 bucks for? Uh, 30th on a good day. I mean, yeah. if clams, probably like, you know, closer to 40. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you've got, uh, you know, around here, you know, I'll get 50 clams for, you know, 25 bucks. Oh, that's so, amazing. So you're, you're eating more clams than you normally would get. And, and you're paying a whole lot less. You know, you can still get that bottle of wine, that loaf of bread and, you know, and have money left over. And, and that's where I tell people, you know, when they learn to cook some of these restaurant style things for themselves, the money they save gives them other opportunities to go out and enjoy some really cool places. Absolutely. And one, that that recipe just sounds delicious and super easy, which I think a lot of people will appreciate because one thing that I like doing on the show is similar to what you're doing is making cooking and just cocktails very accessible and just showing that you don't need a bunch of like super fancy ingredients. Cause I feel like that's also not to get too off, off a uh, topic, but I do want to sidebar for a minute because I think that one reason why people are afraid of like cooking sometimes is because there's almost like a pretentiousness to it around uh, at times where it's like, oh, well, you need to get these fresh truffles for a thousand dollars a pound. Or if you're not using A5 Wagyu, like not everyone has access to that. And I feel like some, some, um, chefs and not really chefs, but like some creators, I would say, are very much like, oversimplifying the fact that yes, it is very expensive because it is very high quality, but you do not need that in order to make delicious food. Um, and like you said, you can get like 50 clams for 25 bucks. That is amazing. You don't need to go out and, you know, have all of these different kind of like uppity things. Like do, do I really need like sturgeon caviar on, on top of everything that I eat? Probably not. Would I enjoy it? Probably. But is that something that's absolutely necessary? And like you said, having recipes that are accessible and able to like make different swaps. You mentioned earlier on that one thing that you did with this recipe originally when you learned how to make it was you guys used chopped clams and that got the job done. Oh yeah. But I'm sure the fact that, you know, you can get spend 25 bucks and have clams to feed the family seems like a much better option nowadays. Um, but I just, one thing I 
that I just wanted to point that out because I think that's like one thing that I really liked about this recipe was that it was accessible. It wasn't anything like super, super unattainable or unachievable because I think not just with cooking, but with anything. So I'm, I'm currently getting my master's in psychology. So I feel like that might be coming out right now. But um, I feel like with anything, we associate a, an emotion, right? Um, a lot of people will use the example of anxiety, but anxiety can actually be positive or negative. And a lot of times people avoid things because they don't want to feel a certain emotion. So let's say anxiety, people have anxiety about cooking. Maybe it's because they've been told that their food isn't good, or maybe it's been They've been told that they're not good enough to cook or that they did something wrong once. It's about turning that negative anxiety into positive anxiety and getting people excited to be back in the kitchen. So really appreciated you sharing that recipe because one, it's achievable. And like you said, you're making something that is restaurant style, but you don't necessarily need that restaurant training in order to get something really delicious at home. No. And, and that's the big key to take away is that, you know, granted, people that work in restaurants are very talented. And there's people out there that do things that maybe you really won't be able to do at home simply because you don't have access to the ingredients. It, it's not really about the, the skill level. Well, there is some in some different things. But for the most part, you're not trying to make those gastronomic, mind-blowing things that take days to create. You know, you want to feed your family. You want to feed yourself. You want to get the job done. At the end of the day, I don't feel like cooking for two hours. I just made chicken marsala for the for the wife before. That's that's why when you said the time, I was like, oh my God, I have some more time. You know, she wanted to eat. You know, I, I got it together in 15 minutes and it was just, it was a good dinner. It's It's all about making something pretty quick in your kitchen sourcing the best possible ingredients you can. And, and sometimes it's learning how to source ingredients. One, one key I always tell people, one thing that a lot of people don't know about is in a restaurant, one of the items I use, you know, soup bases came along. And, you know, when we were used to be making stocks all the time, but even when you made a stock and you still needed a little punch. So you can buy minor soup bases in a lot of stores. You can get them on Amazon. If not, there's a really good one called Better Than Bullion that has all different flavors. I love that. Of, <laughs> yeah. A lot of times these bases, like if I'm making a chicken dish, you know, it needs a little pop. So it's, it's instead of putting salt in, I put a little of this base in. So it gives it the salt and it gives it some other flavors. You know, same thing with beef, like bacon, beef, bourguignon. It needs a little pop. Let's put a little bit of beef base in it too, along with that red wine. You know, it's like it, it elevates the flavor profile. And, Absolutely. And there's nothing wrong with using because that's what we use in restaurants. That's what a lot of people even if they say they don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think that is awesome. And thank you for giving us that little tip. Um, all of our better than bullion users, you know, <laughs> keep using it. I, I'm a recent adapter to that. Um, I, I used to see it in videos and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, I mean, it looks good. But one day I was actually like browsing on Instacart because I don't physically go to the grocery store, unfortunately. Um, but um, I saw it and I, I got it and it's it's changed my life. It's amazing because it's like it's still quality, but it's a shortcut, right? And I feel like a lot of times, like after I get home from work, I, I work in New York City. I commute about fifty minutes to get home um, to New Jersey. So by the time I commute home, the last thing I want to do is sit in the kitchen and make some super intricate food. Um, I mean. I, I always make this joke with my friends. The day that my kitchen has a Michelin star is the day that <laughs> I no longer have a full-time job. 
uh, because, you know, I have the time to, <laughs> to sit here and like make all these like creative, uh, gastronomic, um, feats of meals instead of just, I, I mean, one of my favorite meals is, I, I guess, and you shared like chicken marsala is one of your easy kind of go-to meals. I have a mini rice cooker. It was $20. It is so tiny. It makes about two cups of rice. Um, but I live alone. I'm single. It is perfect for me. Um, but in Korea and a lot of Asian countries, they just have like eggs and rice and, you know, add a little bit of soy sauce, a little bit of sesame oil. And that's a meal. And it's honestly so delicious. And that's one of my go-to easy meals. Throw everything in the rice cooker, throw some eggs on the stove. And then I have dinner in like 15 minutes. Um, so I think to your point of just getting in the kitchen and something that I want the listeners to just like realize is getting in the kitchen is not hard. I've been doing this show for, I guess this is going on year two, which is kind of insane that we've been on this journey for so long. But I mean, Chef Dennis has so much experience, right, from professional cooking in a restaurant setting to just cooking for his wife at home. So listen to his advice, just kind of get in the kitchen, learn how to source your ingredients, and don't be afraid to get in there. But um, I guess, Dennis, do you have any more advice for some of these home cooks who might be afraid to get back in the kitchen after being knocked down? Yeah, you know, just take your time, pick recipes that you know you're going to like to eat. And don't be afraid to adapt them a little. I tell you, one thing the pandemic taught me was that I still like to cook because I was so busy with social media and so busy with business that at the end of the day, oh, let's just go out to eat. You know, I just did not have the energy. And when I was forced to get back in the kitchen, you know, I really like doing this. I had forgotten that I really like. And you have to get to that point where I'm sure at one point there was more joy in the kitchen for you you know, with your mother, with your grandmother, with someone else. I'm sure at one point you were happy in there. You have to find that place, that happy place and, and come back to it and, and share that with the others around you to make it. And it can, it'll be contagious. It really will. If it's a fun time, like I always tell people, if you go into a restaurant and all the servers and everybody are not happy, the chef's in a really bad mood and it's not going to be the best meal you ever had. <laughs> so. it's joy does a lot to improve the quality of food, you know, that and remembering the other key factor. And I love it with the name of, of your show is make it cute. You know, people eat with their eyes, make it pretty as pretty as possible. I'm not telling you to take five minutes decorating the plate, but put a little sprinkle of parsley on it. You know, put a little cracked black pepper on it, put a little, you know, chopped red pepper, something just to, to pick the dish up, just something to make it a little more eye appealing. When you serve it, you know, serve it a little, wipe the plate off. I, I do that here. My wife thinks I'm crazy. I'll go to serve and I get a, a paper towel and I clean the plate rim off just to because it's years of training. You don't forget things like that. But, you know, it's easy to find some joy in the kitchen if you start thinking about what you're buying. Uh, I love Instacart. I, I use it. I just don't feel like going out there some days you know? <laughs> and it's so easy. I like to go in because they don't always pick the best, best vegetables. So every now and I, I order my meats online. I found a couple places, uh, that deliver really good quality meats, um, more free range grass fed or small farm, you know, so right. the quality is a little better. I, I, I trust it. Again, we're going back to smaller portions a little bit rather than the larger ones, but and then getting more vegetables and grains. Try different grains. One I always tell people to try is farro. Have you ever had farro? I love farro. 
Oh, so good. And you can make risotto out of farro. And it's, you know, it's just, it's just amazing. And, you know, you'll feed it and the, the kids will go, I don't know what this is, but this is really tasty. My wife, who hates grains, did the same thing. She goes, this is really good. Here's a quick question for you. How did you sleep last night? If your battle for a good night's sleep feels relentless, I have the answer. It's a podcast called Sleep Wave with meditations and hypnosis created to help you fall asleep. My relaxation techniques will help you feel calm and ready for sleep with soft music that will help you fall asleep in minutes. Most listeners never hear the end of an episode. So search Sleep Wave on your favorite podcast app and find out why over a million people have fallen asleep to my voice. Yeah, I, I like doing... Um a mix of farro and orzo and like almost like a little Greek salad type deal with like, you know, chopped cucumbers and red onion and bell peppers and feta. And oh, I, I love, love it. <laughs> love good cheese. Feta is just amazing. Um, we were in Greece and the joy I found was they had 11% Greek yogurt and it was like, Oh my God. <laughs> it was, I was over there eating eating eleven percent Greek yogurt. I thought I was in heaven. It was so good. And the fetas were just so, so flavorful. But any kind of cheese. I I I got my wife to finally eat some of the more flavorful cheeses by starting her out on what I call the gateway cheese, which is gorgonzola. Oh, gorgonzola is delicious. When, whenever you said the gateway cheese, I thought you were gonna go for like like a, a like a borson cheese. <laughs> oh no, something 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 tart or perky, but something that wasn't as bad as, as blue cheese or, you know, or, or, um, Oh my God, I forgot the name of the other one. Like a Stilton. Yeah. Yeah. Something, something that had a little less bite in it. So now she loves, you know, all the cheeses, but, uh, I started out with Dolce. It was actually a, a less aged gorgonzola. It was smooth. You could spread it on butter, on, on oh. bread, I mean. And uh, that was mild, and she liked that. Then we tried the picante, and then we went to blue cheese. You know, so it's, it's like moving her up the ladder. But yeah, it's it's a wonderful thing, and experiencing little bites of different flavors. Every now and then, we'll have a, a continental lunch, and I'll get a bunch of different cheeses and some meats, and we'll eat that and some fruit. You know, and it's like you know, it's just like going back over for a while, you know, and just ex experience life relaxing. Yeah. Absolutely. I think also like just how simple it is to put those together. Like I love making meat and cheese boards just for myself. I actually have a, a number of tiny little boards, uh, like single serving boards that I will do. And, you know, just trying different types of crackers yeah. and trying different types of cheeses and different types of meat. I think before I kind of got into this, and I think it's also been very heavily popularized over the past couple of years too, like the concept of like doing like serving like a grazing or a cheese board or a charcuterie um, during a party or something. I think it's very heavily popularized now, but I love still doing it for myself because it gives me the opportunity just to go and try some, some things I wouldn't have tried before. And it actually introduced me to like one of my favorite shops in New York. I, I love New York City. Um, but I love it because there's this store called Murray's Cheese Shop mm -hmm. um, in the West Village. And it smells so funky in there in the best way possible. Um, but I just go in, I explore this like rows and rows of like fresh cheese and just it. I'm like a kid in a cheese store. Like I couldn't even say a candy store. Like I feel like kids like cheese. So <laughs> cheese is a wonderful thing. I, I just really I, I could never be a vegan because of cheese. I could probably give up meat, but I, I just could not do away with cheese. It's just, it's, 
there there isn't any substitute for that and butter real butter <laughs> i i agree honestly if i didn't love like good european butter as much as i did i feel like i could maybe delve back into like veganism like i was vegan at one point um obviously i'm i'm not anymore but um i think there's just certain things that just enjoying the process and i think just the whole concept of like farm to table and like you mentioned like the treatment of our animals before we like actually get them into our stomach i think that's a huge reason why a lot of people go vegan is because of like the disparate treatment of the food but i think whenever you do take that approach of like finding open um like free range organic um very just like high quality food it kind of eliminates that need um in a sense yeah so I, I much rather just have like, you know, high quality food than to just eliminate eating it at all. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I, I think, again, you mentioned moderation before, and that's one word that I think Americans need to relearn um, and and really bring to heart in everything we do, because I think our philosophy has always been that this is good, more is better. You know? Right. <laughs> so, you know, and, and when you go to Europe and you see it, you know, there's a big difference. Like they'll eat for three hours, but they probably won't consume as much as we do in that short period of time because it's, it's a process. It's, you know, it's a journey. It's an event. It's time that's spent well spent. You know, it's, it's not just chowing down and let's get to the next thing. Absolutely. I feel like eating is like, sometimes it's almost like a chore where you're just kind of like doing, yes, you're having fun. Yes, you're enjoying it. But it's just kind of like, okay, I want to get in and get out. Like, I think one of the reasons why I love going over to Europe is because they let you take your time. They'll come visit you every 15 minutes and, you know, give you time in between your courses. Meanwhile, you know, I mean, use Texas Roadhouse as an example, because that's what I'm thinking of when I think of like American quick chow down. Um, I love that place. Don't get me wrong. But, oh, I know. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, they're, they're yeast rolls. I can't, I can't beat them. Um, but it's like they'll kind of be like checking in on you like every two seconds. Like they drop off your food and 30 seconds later, they're asking you how it is whenever you haven't even had a chance to take a picture for Instagram yet. <laughs> or I, I mean, even to cut cut the meat to take a bite. It's like, how's your food? It's like, it, it, it looks good. I mean, I haven't had a chance to actually take a bite out of it because I mean, you, you literally did a 360. Like you didn't leave the table. You kind of just stood there and spun around in a circle. And now you're asking me, but nonetheless, um, I digress. That's one of the things I love about Europe is you really get that time to enjoy and savor your food without the pressure as well. Because I think it's not only pressure from customers being like demanding and wanting this quick, like turnaround service, but also it's the pressure from the restaurant to kind of get volume in and out. Yeah, right. Got to turn that table. Got to turn that table and get more people in. In Europe, the table is pretty much yours until you decide to leave. Exactly. I was um, when I was in Paris back in um, December. I sat at this one cafe for probably two or three hours, and I had a bowl of soup, uh, a pistachio creme brulee, and that was it. That I, I think I had also like a glass of water. And I only had that in the span of two to three hours. And it was just so, it was an experience. It wasn't about the, it wasn't about just getting in and getting out. It was like, when you're going out, I feel like if you're paying money to have someone else make your food, you should at least enjoy it and savor it. Absolutely. You know, uh, they put some effort into it and they want you to have the experience. So enjoy it. 
best cheeseburger I ever had in my life was in Paris. But, oh. it, but it was mooing when it came out to the table. It was, <laughs> but I looked at it and went, oh, but I, I bit into it and it was like heaven. It was amazing. But And, and at that point, you know, I was I, I wanted something American. I had been there for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I, I said, I just need something American. I want a cheeseburger. And it came out and it could not have been better. It was just the whole, ex- again, the experience of it. The, the waiters hated me because I was American. And I, right. in Paris, you know, it's okay. I understand. You hate each other. It's fine. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, and that's rare that you get those situations. I, I've rarely had a bad experience in Paris. It's only been a handful of times that, you know, people were not happy to see Americans, you know, the rest of the time. As long as you're polite, you, you try to speak to them in French a little bit until it's too painful for them to listen to, and then they'll speak to you in English. But, you know, you make an effort. You don't be the ugly American. And, that, and that's with traveling anywhere, traveling any parts uh, of the world. You, you're in someone else's home, someone else's country. Act right. like it, you know? Exactly. Absolutely. And I, I think, speaking of cheeseburgers, I, I just want to double back to that because I, <laughs> this is so sad, but the best cheeseburger that I had recently wasn't even a cheeseburger. It was like an impossible burger, but the restaurant did such a good job with it. Like it had actual cheese and all that, but it was in Martha's Vineyard in Edgartown. Um, one of the best burgers I've recently had, but before that was actually in Colombia, which is so funny because I feel like some places do American food better than Americans do because they're getting these really high quality, locally sourced ingredients in order to make it. <laughs> yep. They're using better ingredients. They're using better quality meats. And, and that's what it comes down to. We we could never have served a cheeseburger that raw here because of how we get meat and what we do it, how it's ground and different things. But there it's safer. I, you know, the first time I ate duck in Paris, it was blue. I mean, it was, it was, it was raw, but it was the best damn duck I'd ever had in my life. You know? Right. And it was like, you, you, you just, things are different. You know, you eat, eat everything and you don't gain weight there. You know, it's like right? it's insane. You know, it's just better ingredients. And a lot of that comes back to how we source food in the United States. And granted, some things you just can't get or can't get away from, but you should try and do the best you can whenever you can. Like I don't buy organic everything. But, you know, when I can, I do. There's some right. items that you, you want to buy. I, you know, I will try and do the best. But, you know, I'm not telling people to go spend extra money to do this and, and or, you know, to, to cause themselves mental anguish because they, they can't get it. You know, you do the best you can. Right. And you live the best life you can. You get, you know, and you just try and be happy. Absolutely. And I think this is like a great just kind of segue to being happy and just kind of existing it seems like you've had a very like fruitful career in the kitchen out of the kitchen on the internet whatever the case may be i guess as we start to wrap up do you have any kind of final words of advice for the listeners of just you know staying happy and staying positive like i mean You've been so happy and positive throughout this entire conversation, and I'm sure they can hear it through whatever they're listening to this on. Um, but yeah, how do you do it? Like, I mean, you know, it's it's just your outlook. And and granted, I was not always happy. Uh, you know, I, I had some really rough spots in my life. Everyone does, and it's how you get through those that will define you. It's not those moments don't define you. 
So you have to find yourself out of that. You know, um, meeting my wife, I think, was a turning point in my life for me. You know, and, and we did not have a first, the first few years were a little rocky, but, you know, we stuck together and we were just meant to be together. But she really changed a lot of my outlook. And she even laughs now. She says, you're the kinder, gentler chef, Dennis, you know, than I was <laughs> when, I, when I first met her. You know, uh, it's, it's a matter of wanting, first of all, wanting to be there. Okay. A lot of it is about you actually wanting to be happier. And, you know, some people just want the misery because they, that's all they have. Well, you need to find a better way to do it. And, and you have to find that happiness. Like for me, I think the happiness really, really started to build when I started blocking more, you know, for me, that was my outlet. For me, that was the one way I could really be creative in the kitchen. Things would get tense. Things would get ugly things would just get you know, out of control and, you know, and they say chefs drink, you know, or they do other things, you know, and, and it, it is, it's because we're just under so much pressure. But once I could relax, take a breath and then decide what I wanted to do with the rest of my time on this earth, which, you know, was late in life and, uh, and try, try to just help people and, and, you know, leave some kind of mark. You know, I, I'm not, there's not going to be a line of people at my funeral or anything. I'm not looking for that. But, you know, at least to have him say, you know, this guy taught me that there was joy in my kitchen. He told me I could have joy. He told me I didn't have to eat what I didn't like. You know, he told me that recipes weren't etched in stone and to have fun when I prepared it. And, and I think that's what I like to leave with people. You know, no matter who you follow, who you, you know, I love some of these TV chefs. I love watching them. And, but I take what they make with the grain and with, you know, with how I want to make it. When I go out to eat, I'll go back and make it at home, but I'll make it how I want to make it. You know, it's, it's all about your choices, your preferences. And I always tell people to at least try things three times to make sure they don't like it. Cause with me, it was octopus. It was like, I just didn't like octopus. And I had the best freaking octopus in my life in Barcelona. And that changed my outlook completely for it. Best you know, place to have it. <laughs> oh my God, it was good. But, you know, you, sometimes it takes those few times. First to get over the mental part of it. And then the second to get, okay, I'll try it again. And the third time to enjoy it. So you, you want to give yourself an opportunity to try things. You want to get out of your comfort zone a little bit. But, you know, if you got out of your comfort zone and you still didn't like it, that's okay. Go back to where you did like it. You know, don't feel forced to do anything that you don't want to do be happy and feed people, make them happy, you know, and, and when you get an opportunity, sit down with a stranger and have a meal with them. My, my wife is great for that. We'll be traveling. I'll look around. Where is she? She's sitting with a group of strangers who doesn't speak the same language. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> and the next thing you know, we're having a great time. Absolutely. I think getting out of your comfort zone is so important. And I hope that everyone was able to, you know, take a piece and just connect with what uh, Dennis just said. And I'm really happy that I was able to have you on the show. I really enjoyed getting to know more about you. And I'm sure the listeners did as well. It sounds like you just have had so many great experiences in life and so much knowledge and value and wisdom to share. So, I mean, just thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me, Miles. It was my pleasure. I really enjoyed speaking with you. It was just so easy to talk to you. Thank you. I appreciate it. And to all the listeners, make sure that you give Chef, uh, Chef Dennis a follow at Ask Chef Dennis on 
all platforms? Is that I, pretty is much? That... I am on TikTok, but I am not active on TikTok. I, I need to get my granddaughter to start helping me with that because it's just a little, <laughs> a little past me right now. Um, in terms of just one more thing to do, not that I don't understand it, but it's just one more thing to add. But Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, uh, LinkedIn, uh, Twitter, anywhere else. And then my website is askchefdennis.com. And like you did, if you Google Chef Dennis, pretty much I'll fill a couple pages for you. <laughs> oh, absolutely. So make sure that you connect with him over there. And I will catch all of you on the next episode. I will see you later. Also, don't forget to call the hotline. I want to hear some juicy stories for some Am I the Asshole episodes. Very excited for that. But Dennis, again, thank you so much for coming on. To the listeners, I will talk to you all very soon. Bye.